If you're doing it because you're expecting to sell the book, you have to be willing to shamelessly be all over the place, relentless on social media. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello and welcome to the Author's Corner. I am your host, Robin Colucci, and today I have with me Mr. Neil Kane. Neil is a leading authority on technology, commercialization, entrepreneurship, and innovation. Neil is the Director of Curriculum and Capstone Advising in the ESTEEM program at the University of Notre Dame. He is also the former co-executive editor of the Illinois Technology Enterprise Center at Argonne National Laboratory and recently was innovation executive in residence at the Research Park at the University of Illinois. He was the founding CEO of several startup companies based on university research in areas such as nanotechnology and advanced materials. Neil was also the first entrepreneur in residence at both the University of Illinois and Northern Illinois University. Earlier, he held engineering, sales, and business development positions at IBM and Microsoft. His other startups include a toy company and a barbecue sauce company. Neil holds a BS in mechanical engineering from the University of Illinois and an MBA from the University of Chicago. He is a contributor to Forbes.com and perhaps most relevant for today's conversation, he is a co-author of The Innovator's Secret Formula. In this episode, Neil and I talk about innovation and how to match a product to its market. We explore how some of the basic principles in his work with products can be applied to books and Neil shares about his journey to authorship and what has come next. So I hope that you will enjoy this episode that is chock full of value. So Neil, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you here. And I was reading up on your book a little bit and noticing how you're talking about innovating with new products and really connecting them to what the customer wants. And I thought, what a great topic to talk about first in terms of product development, but maybe we could even explore the realm of how this might apply to writing books. But before we get to the books, okay, I'd love to hear a little bit about how is it that you think about product development differently than your average Joe? First and foremost, Robin, you should know I'm a serial entrepreneur. And even though now I'm, I guess, an author and I am a faculty member at a university and I teach and coach and advise a lot of young entrepreneurs, first and foremost, I self-identify as an entrepreneur. And the one thing that anybody who's ever started a business knows is finding what we call product market fit. And that's not my original term. This is a very familiar term to people in the industry finding a solution to a problem for a known market. So that 
people obviously choose to buy what you are offering is the biggest determinant of the success of any startup. And also in most cases, one of the most challenging things to get right. I could explain that from so many different dimensions, but there was a study done by the National Science Foundation some years ago when they discovered that one of the biggest reason a lot of tech-based startups failed was because they were building products that nobody cared about or nobody needed or nobody wanted. And so the whole industry around this question of product market fit concerns what can we do to reduce that risk or said another way, what can we do to improve our odds of success? Getting product market fit right doesn't guarantee you success, but if you don't have it, you're almost guaranteed to fail. So what we attempted to do in the book, and to be fair, there's a lot of work and literature out about this, but nobody has attempted to quantify what it means. Everybody talks about, well, we want more product market fit. It's like we want more health in our lives. We all want to be, we want to feel better. These are statements that are unambiguously true, but don't really give you a lot of guidance about exactly what you go about to do to achieve it. So what we have tried to do in the book is to put some structure around thinking about product market fit in quantitative terms so that an entrepreneur could at the very least compare alternatives with the intention of maximizing product market fit. Most chief financial officers or a lot of business people know about trying to maximize ROI, return on investment, et cetera. There's a lot of different ways to think about business decisions. In this case, we're saying, let's think about what the decision would look like if you were trying to maximize product market fit, because we think that that is the key determinant that will ultimately matter in the success of business. Okay. So give us an example of like a metric that would indicate to you product market fit. That would be an indicator, one of these quantitative indicators. Sure. So the first thing is what we call value dimensions. And that is that you need to understand, and this may require some work, what matters to your customer. Mm -hmm. So if you were selling an automobile, for example, in the customer segment that you're targeting, do they care about fuel economy? Do they care about safety, performance, speed, flash and sizzle, leather seats, storage space, right? Four-wheel drive. It's very easy for just about everybody to understand that there's a broad array of automobile types to suit a broad array of customer types, even though at the end of the day, you might say everyone serves the same purpose, which is for transportation or to get you from A to B, but it's not nearly as simple as that. So the first step, and it sounds easy, I know, especially when we talk about it as authors of the book, but it's much harder to do in practice, is what matters to your customer. And, and, and some of that is related to an understanding of the segment or the market that you're targeting. Yeah. And I mean, I'll just tie that to books, right? Because one of the keys to a successful book is understanding who is your ideal reader. Absolutely. Right. And what do they already know that they want? You know, what problem are you solving that they already know they want to solve? Right. Coming up with a good title for your book, a catchy jacket, testimonials, all of the same things that go into book marketing are true of any product. But it usually starts or it should start. As entrepreneurs, we like to say it should start with the identification of a problem that somebody has, yes. not a 
oh, I feel like writing this book. And now I'm after I've written it, I'll try to figure out who wants to read it. Exactly. And I think that when people do it in reverse, right? Well, I just want to write this. And then if I write it, they will come kind of strategy. They're almost always bitterly disappointed because, (laughs) and it's really impossible. You can't go backwards and find the people who want the book that you wrote. I mean, (laughs) well, but I suppose, and please keep me here if I'm getting off track, but It also, for us as business people, kind of came down to a question of our motivation for writing the book. So we knew that this was a niche business topic that was going to appeal to kind of a niche audience. So we never went into it believing like, oh, this is going to be a bestseller or we're going to make a ton of money. In fact, everybody that we talked to and we got a lot of assistance along the way, everybody just kind of tried to dampen our expectations. But For people in our field, and I'm sure for many of the authors that you work with, having a book is a good credential or it's a calling card to something else, right? And so for us, this supports the consulting that we do, the advisory work that we do. It's created myriad, including this, right? Speaking opportunities. I use the material in the work that I do at the university. So it's it's served all of those masters very, very well, even though financially it's like, eh, you know, but. Well, financially it's eh in terms of book sales, but if you put numbers to all of those things that you just talked about and what those are worth, to you, business, then it's paid off, I would imagine, probably quite a bit. Now now you're talking like a CFO. It all depends on how you value um, whatever your output is. And there are many things of value besides dollars and cents. But obviously, one thing you had to think about before you started writing was who's going to read this book? Right. And why are they going to read it? Exactly. And what are they going to get for reading it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's the big takeaway for them that would have yeah. value? Well, there's yeah. no question. And we attempted, or at least you know, our, our plan at the beginning was to think about primarily entrepreneurs, but I think the content of the book is relevant to product managers or brand managers or anybody in any company who's making decisions around product feature price trade-offs. Because Essentially, remember I said we have provided a framework for quantifying product market fit. So if you were, you know, say one of those automotive people that I was talking about earlier, and you had to make a decision of whether to include performance tires on the car or whether to make the car a little bit more expensive by offering a higher power engine, you can only make that decision in the context of understanding how your customers will will value that right? Will will they pay more for a higher performance car? Is that what your market wants? And is that the best way as a business owner to maximize your profitability? Or are you targeting a market that values, you know, say price and economy and doesn't need the performance? And unless, unless you have that kind of insight, it's very, very difficult to make any decisions. All right. I'm going to throw a curveball question at you. Sure. It just fl- flew into my head. So I'm going to throw it out Go there. For it. So what about really innovative products? Um, I'm, I'm, my, I guess my mind is flashing to the very first 
iPad, iPoddy, iPod, right? Mm-hmm. iPod, right? Where, where yeah. nobody knew they wanted one, right? But there was clearly a product market fit. Talk to us right. a little bit about that kind of because because you, you are talking about disruptive and- in real innovation, um, you know, as far as your book. So tell us about what that looks like. Right, absolutely. So, and we do talk about that in the book, as a matter of fact. Um, I'll, I'll try to explain this um, as simply as I can without visual aids. So there's three ways to, or five ways, excuse me, I'm sorry. There's two methods, two domains around which you can think about improving product market fit. One is by changing the product itself through innovative technology, innovative design, business model innovation, which the iPad did, by the way, in creating the iTunes store. And it wasn't just an innovative device. It created a whole new way of of, uh, consuming and acquiring music. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of business model innovation there as well. Or you can kind of change the market, like try to get people to value, you know, a, a green product or a recyclable product over an equivalent but cheaper, you know, version of something. So product uh, changes and market changes. Those are the two dimensions. And within product, there's what I just mentioned, technology innovations, design innovations, business model innovations. So when we think about the iPod or something that's really innovative and kind of was so different than anything that preceded it, you sit back and you say, how did they come up with that? And you're right. There's no way that you could have ever asked a potential consumer or a customer what do you need and have them describe the iPod? That's the that's <laughs> right. genius and the role of the company, Apple in this case, and its designers and developers. But it came about because they had superior understanding of how customers consumed music and what was frustrating about that. And then, you know, the innovation intersected that because they were able to think of new, novel, mm-hmm. creative ways of solving that customer's problem. There's a famous quote, we have it in the book, you know, Henry Ford said, if you had asked people what they needed, they would have said faster horses. Right. right. <laughs> so, it, so it doesn't usually, and you know, I'm making a generalization, but usually it doesn't serve you well to try to have your customers design the next product. What you want to understand is their behavior, their attitude, whether they have a problem, how they're solving it today, how irritating it is. Another thing that we in the industry often say is, are you selling a painkiller or a vitamin? Mm-hmm. Um, and what we mean by that is, you know, if you've got a migraine headache or worse, you know, you're you know, bleeding to death, there's almost nothing that you won't do to get a solution to that problem versus say vitamins, which don't appear to have an immediate payoff around anything. They're kind of nice to haves, but they're not must haves. And so consequently, people's willingness to pay for them is much, much lower. So it, it just, to, to really simplify everything, and, and this doesn't help make decisions, but at its fundamental core, it's all about understanding your, your market, right? The needs and the preferences and the wants and the requirements of the people that you're trying to serve. Yeah. And I think when, when you're talking about selling information in a book, right, it's similar because if they knew what kind of information they needed to solve their problem, they wouldn't need your book, right? So you can't yeah. ask them, well, what do you want me to teach you? <laughs> That's 
That's provocative. I've never thought of it that way. But I suppose if we look at our book now, the title is The Innovator's Secret Formula for Innovation, Disruption, and Market Leadership. It's clearly targeted and positioned. And if you look at the copy that we have on the Amazon site, it's, it's targeted at people who already know that they need to do something in this domain, right? It's not going to be a yeah. casual thing that you just pick up at the because you're browsing in a bookstore. <laughs> it's not beach reading necessarily. <laughs> don't recommend it for that. <laughs> right. And, and, but yeah, they, they, but they, but the solutions inside, like they, if they knew what solutions they needed, then they wouldn't need the book. Well, like a lot of business books though, what we're teaching is a framework, a way of approaching a problem, mm-hmm. a way of thinking about solving it, but the actual solution will still be, completely specific to an individual circumstances. Exactly. I think that's a, that's a perfect approach for a business book, by the way. And I often coach people that way to say, look, you don't need to give them all the how. In fact, please don't give them all the how because right. you will wear them out and confuse them and they will never call you because it just all seemed too complicated. Yeah. But if you can share the fundamental principles that the how is based on, Sure. Then they can start to at least get it conceptually and they become a much better client when they do come on board because they understand that foundational knowledge of how to think about the problem. Yeah. But if we think about books, as I think about products and markets, and trust me, I'm no, I'm no expert in, yeah. in, in books or publishing, but you know, some books like a lot of fiction, I suppose, is just meant to entertain or enlighten people, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Which that's just a completely different value proposition than ours, which is targeted at business people who have certain job titles, who professionally have certain activities that they perform, and we're just trying to help them. Absolutely. And really, it's a lot easier to find your buyer than uh, a novel. Uh, that's interesting. It's kind of paradoxical, but you're right. Um, a lot of uh, inexperienced entrepreneurs make the mistake of believing with a lot of products take like, I don't know, I'd have to come up with a good example, um, like the automobile that I described, saying, well, anybody is a potential customer. <laughs> um, because it, and we like to say, if anybody's your customer, then nobody's your customer. Exactly. We say the same thing in books. Everyone's so, your reader, then you have no one's your reader. Yep. Exactly. So, so finding a niche audience, and I don't know if this dynamic works the same with books as it does for like products, but if you think about uh, certain products um, that try to initially solve a real useful problem for and what could be a small set of people. Then you can grow from there. But if you never, if you never, if the seed never takes root, if it never germinates and takes root, you never get anywhere. I mean, sometimes people use the analogy of it's like uh, reaching launch velocity, like you're going down the runway, right? And if you never get quite to that speed that allows you to get airborne, then you never get off the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, another way, a much more eloquent way of saying it, and th- these are not my words, I heard somebody say it once. He said, it's better to make a product that a few people love than one that a lot of people can live without. Um, So you you gotta, it's gotta take root somewhere. And then if you have that and you can look at, you know, Twitter, Slack, even the iPhone, just about any product you can think of, uh, 
the Microsoft Windows ecosystem, I mean, it started out as an operating system, right? And you think about how it's grown into applications and media and all of this other stuff. You can grow a business, but if you never mm -hmm. get that initial, you know, the talons never go in deep, you, you never get off the ground. Yeah, I totally Sorry, agree. That was a mixed metaphor, but you know. No, it's, it's <laughs> but you know, the way that that would translate to books in my mind is like one thing I always say is, you know, there, there could be multiple tiers of types of readers, right. but it was, you write directly into the heart of the bullseye and you'll still get the outer rungs. They'll find you. Right. But only if you write to that central core ideal reader. But now I'm going to put on my business hat and pretend, okay. like, I, pretend like I know your business, even though Great. I don't. Yeah. I'm assuming, and you tell me if I'm wrong, okay. if a prospective author is writing a book and they have a target audience, okay, uh -huh. what they want to have happen is that people in that target audience to find the book and then tell other people in that target audience about the book, okay, versus, you know, everybody discovering it the same way the first time, whether it's mm -hmm. you know, in the checkout line at the grocery store, if that even happens anymore, or stumbling across it online or whatever, you know, yeah. kind of word of mouth, virality, recommendations, hearing about it from your friends. There's no better way to grow a business. And, so and there's no better way to sell a book, period, right. is that that word of mouth is the most reliable cause of book sales. The problem is you have to have a lot of mouths <laughs> for that to really get momentum. You've got to have a lot of mouths referring that, but, but it's so reliable because you know, people like people criticize publishers for not doing more to promote books on behalf of their authors. Hmm. In this age of social media, people trust advertising even less. And, oh, yeah. book, you know, like uh, publishers, I remember my mentor when his book came out, they, they took out a half page ad in the New York Times, you know, spent $20,000 right, on it, which right, in right. the 80s was a lot of money and uh, <laughs> still is, still is a, a notable amount. But today that would do absolutely nothing. Yeah. Because right. it's so much about social proof now that there's really there's there's less leverage that publishers have. And, and that's one of the reasons that they rely so much on authors, because it's gotta be those social networks. Absolutely. Where that you're getting that momentum. Yeah. And from the other, you know, people that I know, friends of mine, you know, some of them who have written books, they all come around to developing this understanding very quickly that if they want their book to be successful, it's not the publisher, it's they, them, the author, uh, who needs to make it successful. And if you begin with a large social media following and your chances of being successful go up exponentially because you've already got your audience that you can promote to. Yes. If, and especially if they're engaged, an engaged audience. Right. Right. Um, Cause that, that, that can be an interesting, it's not a sure thing in social media as no. uh, was it Simon and Schuster who published Billie Eilish's memoir. I don't know if you, uh, uh, but you know, you can have one thing. Like 21 years old, isn't she? Yeah. I know. Like, who writes a memoir? I know. <laughs> I thought you were joking when you said that, like it's yeah. a, like, it's a pamphlet, right? <laughs> I, I was thinking about that. I was like, I don't know how, okay, I guess maybe she's lived a lot of life in 21 years, probably more than, than most of us. But, but even though she has this huge social following, her, her book grossly underperformed. Really? Um, 
Yeah. And, and so we can't assume that a large social following w- will cause a lot of book sales. Sure. It'll cause a lot of awareness. Yeah. But you got to look the next layer in. Um, I had the, the founder of Digital Natives um, on, my, on my podcast this, uh, last year. Um, and and well, one of the things he said is you got to understand why they're following the person. Yeah. But, but again, I, I want to say, and I, I'm sure after I say this, you're going to put this recording in the can and not want to publish it. Oh, um, I'm going to. I, I, so, so I have two, two thoughts. One is again, I'll, we essentially self-published. I mean, we use mm-hmm. the Amazon print on demand platform. We did have, an organization that kind of helped us through the process. Um, but if, and I did talk to one publisher who didn't, wasn't interested. And so in a traditional way or 20, 25 years ago, we never would have probably written the book because we would have had no outlet for it. Hmm. But I also want to mention briefly my sister who lost her husband very suddenly about 10 years ago, wrote an amazing book about her grief and how she processed it. And it was so shortly after we wrote our book. And I remember kind of having this discussion with her um, about whether there was an audience for the book, who was it targeted at? And she just kind of shut me down and she said, I'm not writing it for other people. I'm writing it for myself and hopefully yeah. other people will want to read it. Yeah. And you know, that is a totally legitimate right. um, reason to write a book. And I think that, it's, it's, it's very valid. And, and the people who are close to her um, or maybe somebody who stumbles upon it, you know, will, will, will benefit from it. And, and she wrote it, you know, for whatever right. her needs were, which yeah. is great. And I think that the only time that that becomes problematic is when the author then attaches unrealistic expectations on the book. Right. When it was really a book that they wrote for their own gratification or whatever that was nothing wrong with that. I think the only problem, you know, one thing, the only thing that breaks my heart is when, when someone breaks up with their book because, because they feel like it let them down somehow, (laughs) you know, because it's like, they were hoping they could throw it up on Amazon and it would get discovered and go viral and they'd sell a hundred thousand copies or a million copies. And You'd have to probably send a million copies if you want to run a runoff to the Maldives for a while, but, but you know what I'm saying? So, but, and, and, you know, if you, you got to match your expectations with what you're willing to do. I think that's not- really important. You're the interviewer, not me, but I think that that's really important. We, um, trying to choose my words carefully, um, we recognized after the fact that, we needed to promote the book. And without mentioning names, because I have several co-authors and we had somebody who was helping us in the process of promoting the book, uh, some of the people just didn't want to do that. There's just something about self-promotion that they felt was off-putting and their gift was their contribution to the book. They had zero interest in really pushing it, so to speak. Uh Um, and, uh, you know, and again, as a consequence, the book sales were very modest. It served other purposes for why we wrote it. Yep. But when anybody, and my, my experience as an author is limited to what we've discussed here. So you're the expert, not me. But when people have come to me 
kind of with that question of, you know, how was it for you? What'd you get out of it? Would you do it again? That is my number one thing, which is if you're doing it because you're expecting to sell the book, you have to be willing to shamelessly, <laughs> shamelessly <laughs> be all over the place, um, yeah. relentless on social media. And you and I both know people in common who do that extremely well, but it doesn't happen by accident and it nope. takes a crazy amount of effort. It does. And, but you know, what is so great though, is you can be wildly successful with your book. Your book can literally change your life if you understand why you're writing it and what you want to get out of it. Sure. My book sales are terrible. <laughs> I haven't sold a lot of books, but I wrote the book for a very specific right. purpose. Yeah. I, right? what I would do- it wasn't about necessarily having a gazillion people read it. Yeah, well, what I would tell other people is once, you know, the book's in the can, that's not the right metaphor, that's for movies. Once the book <laughs> is written, you know, then the work's beginning, not ending. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like the, the way you're, you use your book is similar. Um, you know, I use the book to onboard new clients. There you go. Sure. And orient them to my process. Because I heard, I started to hear myself saying the same things over and over and over again, Yeah. every new client. And I thought, this is boring for me and not really maximizing the, their value either. Right. right. Because they could get this foundational knowledge in the book and then we can begin the conversation at a higher level. Yeah. And, and we both see a lot of people who give away content for free or chapters for free. And what that suggests to me is, you know, they just see it as sort of the freemium model of creating a longer term relationship. So if you're a consultant, coach, business advisor, whatever, and this has certainly been the case for me, again, we didn't, the book didn't translate, let's say directly Mm -hmm. Uh, into some of the economic benefits that we had imagined. But I do believe that there have been a lot of instances where I've gotten clients, because I do a lot of work outside of my university role, where I've gotten clients, not even because they read the book, but because as we're engaged and I'm trying to sell myself to them, I can say, here's a book I wrote. That just adds to the veracity of my capability, right? Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So, so if exactly. you're a business person, I mean, we all dream of writing the bestseller that just flies off the shelves and we become instantly famous and wealthy overnight. But I imagine that doesn't happen too often. <laughs> no, it does not. And and really, like, I, I think that bestseller status, I mean, it's great, but I think we have to think about well, whose idea was it that that's the pinnacle of author success? Hey, look, when I coach entrepreneurs, and I'm not making this up, the first conversation I have is know thyself. Why are you doing this? What is your motivation? Is it to make money? No problem if it is, but let's just be honest and real about that. Is it serving some other purpose? Is it because you're trying to solve a problem or you care about some community or constituency that you're trying to help out? Is it for professional development, right? I mean, it can be many things, but you need that clarity to understand what 
what drives you and how to make decisions. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, not everyone needs to sell hundreds of thousands or even thousands of books to achieve great things with their book. Well, you you may want to talk to some academics who publish for completely different reasons. Right. That's a totally different world. I know, but they but they do. I mean, you yeah. know, it's still yeah. very much a part of their professional DNA, but it's not it's not money or book sales that is the driver. No, no. Yeah, it's it's a lot of times career advancement for the academic uh, That's right. That's yeah. right. It's it's street cred, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, I feel like this is this is such a great conversation, and I feel like right now for 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 me, if I were if as a listener, you know, I would think that the great takeaway here is that you can succeed with your book in a lot of different ways. Yes. Um, and but the most important thing is to make sure that your book resonates with your target audience. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, that, that's a, those are very fundamental statements that apply in a lot of contexts, but it's as elemental as that. Or like I said before, the converse is if you don't have an audience and it's not serving somebody's needs, then it's absolutely going to be a failed effort. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is, I can't believe how the time has zoomed by. This is incredible. So uh, I'm going to go to my, my go-to final question, which is, what question did I not ask you that you would love to answer? How did we come up with the idea for the book? Perfect. Please answer that question. (laughs) Well, it was a collaboration and I want to give due credit to my co-authors. This was not something that was mine alone by any stretch. But the story actually goes back, I don't know, the better part of 10 years when my two collaborators were both entrepreneurs in residence at a place in the heart of Silicon Valley in Sunnyvale, California called Plug and Play, which as far as I know, I think is the world's largest or certainly among the largest like co-working slash incubators. So there's hundreds of Silicon Valley startups sitting in this building surrounded by resources and mentors and coaches and venture capitalists and the like. And my two collaborators met there and came together and over time kind of began to notice these failure modes of these startups and began to fashion some of the hypotheses that ultimately led to the book. And then I kind of joined that effort. I was actually writing for Forbes at the time and some years ago, kind of help them promote these concepts through some of the columns that I wrote for Forbes. And then one thing led to another and we were like, Hey, we got to write a book. So that's kind of how it all came together. That's terrific. That's great. And it sounds like you've enjoyed the journey. I'm sure every author you bring on your show says, Oh, it was a labor of love, but really it was a ton of work and a lot of long nights and weekends and missed birthday parties and It was that. I mean, but one thing I can say about it is we knew it was a finite exercise eventually done, right? So, you know, anything worthwhile doing requires effort. So we just, we did it. And I think we got it done. I have to really check the calendar. We we certainly started it before COVID, but, you know, once kind of COVID happened, it made it ironically a little easier to finish. (laughs) 
Um, and I was at a universe at the university at the time and got a lot of space uh, to spend time on it. So that was a real gift for me. Yeah. And it looks like it published in mid April of 2020, which was really right when things were shutting down. So it must've really accelerated. You would think I would remember the chronology. I remember us working on it before COVID, but then because it came out during COVID, again, irony of ironies, it became much easier for me to speak about the book because all these meetings were virtual and I suddenly got uh, (laughs) invitations to address, you know, audiences essentially around the world then if this had all kind of happened in person, I would have touched a much smaller group of people. True, because I mean, that would have been a lot of travel for you, but. Exactly, yeah, yeah. No, it, and it would have been infeasible in, in many instances. Yeah, I love it. So like a huge, great timing, oddly, for for, for uh, your ability to share. Who, about- who knew? I, I mean, um I, I shared with you how the book came about, but right at that very same time, I think it was March or April, maybe I didn't do it until May of 2020, when everybody was all worried about the future. I said, this is the time to start a business. You don't know it, but this is the time. Yes. I wish I had followed my own advice because I think now uh, we can look back and realize, even though there was a ton of fear and uncertainty interest rates were low, everybody had time on their hands, nobody was going anywhere. In in our adult lives, I hope and I doubt we'll ever find ourselves in that circumstance again. I mean, let's hope not. We hope not, right? (laughs) It was was for the wrong reasons. Yeah. But I think unless you lost somebody to COVID, we might also look back on this 10 or 20 years from now and go, oh, remember those two years I worked from home and what a pleasure that was to have all that time on my hands. So, yeah, you know, sorry for getting a little metaphysical. No, no. And I think, I think for a lot of companies, like remote work is here to stay. How many of your um, people in your orbit said, well, when I knew I was going to be stuck at home, I decided to write a book, right? We had an astounding 2020 and early 2021. Yeah, everybody had, has it. Like, let's face it, everybody's bucket list says write a book. Right. Everybody's, right. And I think it, if anything COVID taught us, it's, it's how sometimes you don't know and you could go like that. And it, it did light a fire, I think, under a lot of people to write their book for sure. I, it, there's no question it created that sense of urgency, but yes. it also suddenly just kind of made it feasible, right? For people. It also write more space in their life for sure. Yeah. I shouldn't say this and my employer's listening, but there's no question that working from home gives you a lot more flexibility to time, you know, spend your time on different things throughout the day. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think it lowers productivity either. I think it's just, it enables you to flow more with the state that you're in and use the time you have. You can optimize that time yeah. on tapping into where you're most resourceful. There's no question about it. I don't want to change subjects on you, but we could have another discussion about sure? <laughs> You know, how COVID created this dislocation, but also created new opportunities in many places yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, that's perhaps a conversation for another day. But okay. Neil, I just want to thank you so much for carving time out of your day to be with us here on the Author's Corner today. Well, I thank you for the opportunity. It was a pleasure. Thank you. 
Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.